How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, beginning a new study. So we wrapped up our walk through First uh, and Second Corinthians, and as is kind of our rough tradition, uh, we do a uh, a book, uh, one of the Gospels, and then we go do. Uh, one or two of the other in the New Testament, uh, do one of the other, and then we'll come back to a gospel, and then back to one of those. So we're kind of leapfrogging. So we've done the gospel of John, we've done the gospel of Luke, and now we're doing the gospel of Mark. So we're getting close. We're, we've done a lot of the uh, books in the New Testament. We're getting close to finishing up doing all of the New Testament, so I'm pretty excited about that. Still got a lot to go, a long ways to go. So this is fun though, I, really enjoyable, and I'm um, always really excited at coming back to do one of the gospel walkthroughs. It's just, this is our everything. This is what it's all about, the life of Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, about, about the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see different pictures. Now in the Gospel of John, we see a lot of the, the person. It, it really, the you, you get a better idea at his emotions, his character, his personality. It's it's very personal, in that way. It's very emotional. And then we see Luke, uh, uh, whereas Luke was a physician, we see more and focusing on miracles and certain works and things. And now Mark is different all again. <clears throat> it, it it's very succinct. It's it's very uh, bullet pointed, and we see the way he writes things down, and, and uh, not an awful lot of detail is given. Like when you, for example, you compare Mark with John or Luke, uh, you see that Mark is is kind of summarized almost. It, it's a very uh, it, there's a lot in it, but again, we see how he just he goes from thing to thing quickly so we're going to be taking a look at this and seeing what he has to say and we're going to be examining some of these things now using the uh the berean method this is uh, as we teach it here in christian coffee time there's a certain bible study method that we like to do and we follow a three-point system and it's inter interpretation application demonstration it's a three-point study uh, uh we're studying the Bible, the Berean method of Bible study, interpretation, application, demonstration. Now, interpretation is the what, the what of the narrative. What is it specifically saying? So when in reading this, we get an idea of what exactly is going on, the context here. What it says is what it means as well. What it says is what it means. What is the literal face value? What is the full context of the passage? So we also learn how to back up and, and go over it and make sure we get all the info regarding this. Now, we also want to compare this with uh, the pa uh, scriptural passages that uh, focus on this is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 and 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. And when we read these, we see that just as the Lord says, his word, as his word is given, it, what it says is what it means. Let's take a look at these really quickly. 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. All scripture is given. The word given is theonoustos, which means God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then we go over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture, that's anything in the Bible, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. There's no uh, uh, personal interpretations. Well, I think it means, I think it means, no, no, no. No prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God spoke to the writers, inspired them, taught them, instructed them, and showed them what to write. And they wrote it down, and God preserves his word unto all generations. And then step two, application. Now there's only one interpretation of scripture. But there are multiple applications. It can be applied mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially. And the application as interpretation interpretation is the what of the narrative. Application is the how. Okay? How can the meaning of the pictures and the images and the text be paired with the rest of the word of God? How, how can I learn to cross-reference? What does scripture say? And, and we pair scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, line upon line, precept upon precept. So the how now in the reading is you back up, go again through it slowly, and you pay, pay attention to the specific pictures and the images, the words and all the details and all these things. And you see, okay, now how is it being said? How is it being brought forward? And, and, uh, and where else in the word of God to talk about this? And then how can, how can I learn from this and learn how to study scripture? And we see in Acts 17, 11, uh, the, for these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And then we see in 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.15. And study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth rightly dividing the word of truth so we see interpretation the what application the how and demonstration the why so demonstration now we see uh, see what it's saying how it's being said now why is this important why should i do this so we learn the deeper understanding of this why is this important to me how can this be applied to my life so i'm reading the interpretation of the specific okay you know paul is talking to so and so Okay, now what's being said? Is there anything in this that can, that that, uh, that I can learn? Where else in the Word of God does it kind of talk about this, that, that these teaching and doctrine and theology? Okay, now how can I apply this to myself as well so I can learn from it? How can this be applied to my life to live it, speak it, think it, do it? So again, we see in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 that the, uh, that, uh, that the man of God may be perfect. For, our, for, for the perfection of our walk in Christ. And we also see in Ephesians chapter 6, all about the armor of God, resisting the devil, and that learning to walk in the Lord. And so we see personal application as well comes from this. So I learn, okay, what's being said, how it's being said, and how to apply it to my life. This is the Berean method. 
So I hope that uh, you learn from that. And we're going to be using this in our study and our walkthrough of the Gospel of Mark. We'll see how far we get today. This is kind of introduction to the Gospel of Mark. And uh, just some summarizations of some things going on here. And again, going over some things that we've discussed a million times, but we're going to do a million and one. So <laughs> I hope you don't get bored with it. And if you get bored with this, then there's something wrong with you. All right, so please go grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee, and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And I just realized I've been rushing like crazy this morning. I forgot to change this. We're no longer in Corinthians. <laughs> All right, so... Uh... So in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. All right, so a question arises when we take a look at this. Okay, we have an idea who John is. We have an idea who Luke is and Matthew. Who is Mark? Who is Mark? So this brings up a question. So in understanding this, we got to understand uh, the writer, the author. So there, there is... There is a group of people out there, weird people, who call themselves scholars, who call themselves theologians, who call themselves experts in, in the Bible, and they are far, far from any of that. Uh, they say that Mark, that the Apostle Mark did not write this book. Well, they're dumb. How, well, how do we know who wrote the books of the Bible? <laughs> I was, asked that, I was asked that question once, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, okay, now how do I answer this? And I, I just went to the index, my Bible index. All right, well, we know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, right? And uh, Joshua wrote Joshua. Ezra wrote Ezra. Esther wrote, wrote Esther. We see David wrote the Psalms. Isaiah wrote Isaiah. Ezekiel wrote Ezekiel. Daniel wrote Daniel. All the other. So who wrote the books of the New, of the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we see uh, Paul... Peter, and then we see James. Okay, the writers of these, uh, often the, the author is what the book is named after. Mark wrote Mark. All right. Mark wrote Mark. Now, who is Mark? Who is Mark? So let's take a look at, at some info here. I pulled up some info regarding Mark, and uh, as we see in the scriptures. Uh, I always cringe when um i'm here when i hear people go to sources outside of the bible where where of historical things or whatever uh, documentations it, uh, they say well mark did this and he went here and he did there and john did this and but it's not found in the bible it's not found in the bible i always cringe at that because uh, there's a lot of christians who put a lot a lot of um stock in extra biblical sources often we have found uh, as the way things go that those sources are actually roman catholic propaganda and it's not actually true like for example uh peter being crucified on an upside down cross that never happened that never happened um he did get crucified but he was not he was not inverted all right, so let's take a look at Mark here that we see from the Bible. 
Now, as he's also known as John Mark. He's known as John Mark. John Mark was the son of Mary, a Christian Jewess. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus, a different Mary. John Mark was the son of Mary, a Christian Jewess, in whose home the early Christians seem to have been sheltered. Acts chapter 12, verse 12 shows this. Marcus, as he was also known, Marcus was his Latin surname. His, his Jewish name was John, meaning the grace of God. Peter may have been, may have been the means of his conversion, for he calls him his son. 1 Peter 5.13 He was the nephew or cousin of Barnabas. Colossians 4 verse 10 Paul and Barnabas, after visiting Jerusalem to deliver the relief offerings from Antioch, brought John Mark with them to Antioch. Acts 12.25 He accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but he left them early in these travels at Perga. And we see that in um, Acts 13, verse 13. Apparently, because of this, there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over Mark's going with them on the second journey. The result was that Silas accompanied Paul and John Mark accompanied Barnabas. Acts 15, 36 to 40. Later, Paul was reconciled with John Mark and Paul commended him to the church at Colossae. That's Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul requested his services in Rome, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, and he was with Paul in Rome when the epistle to Philemon was written. We see that in Philemon, verse 24. John Mark is, is also considered the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And there, are, there is another interesting source that I've come across. I did some studies on this, and it's quite interesting but again, I have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but the facts do seem to be there um, in that we see that when the apostles went into all the world, uh, different ones went to different areas, whatever, uh, it is seen that Mark went down to Egypt. Mark went down to Egypt. Now, this is between the time when Paul and Barnabas went and then Mark left them and then Paul got upset because Mark left them. But what, what is seen between this period, we see as is theorized as to why Paul then blesses Mark is because between that time right there, Mark went down to Egypt and preached the gospel and a ton of people got saved in Egypt. And this is why Paul then blesses him. And uh, uh, later on, we see the reconciliation between uh, Paul and Mark. Now, the work that Mark uh, fulfilled in Egypt these Christians are known today, as the descendants of, are known as the Coptic Christians. Now, a lot of people get their uh, nose out of joint in that one, and a lot of eyebrows are raised on this, but if you actually go and study their doctrines of the Coptics, they believe in the same gospel as we do. They use the gospel of Mark as their doctrinal statement, that it was Mark that, uh, that founded the church in Egypt. Now, it was... Uh, while later after this, we see that the Roman Catholic Church, once it started getting going, went down into Egypt and tried to convert these Christians to Catholicism. And the and the these Coptics realized, no, the Catholics are heretics. No, we're not accepting this and pushed them out, refused this, recanted them, wanted nothing to do with them. 
And but this is why we see a couple odd little practices and traditions with the with the Coptics, but their gospel of salvation is biblical. They believe in the gospel we do. They believe uh, in this, and they use the the gospel of Mark as their statement of faith, as their doctrinal statement, as their uh, uh, what they believe. And so it's quite interesting when you look at that. Uh, but anyway, so that's a bit of the history of Mark, and now we're going to take a look at the gospel according to Mark. Now, the other thing you need to understand is there are some who say that the Gospels themselves are contradictory because uh, they are worded different, they show different pictures, and uh, the, the Gospels presented a, a bit differently. The different things go on in different Gospels, so they see it as contradictory. No, it's not contradictory. And if you know anything about the Gospels, you know that as it says, and many other things did Jesus that are not written in this book. They did so many things that the world would not be able to contain the books of them. So consider that. So what it is, is God is using these individuals in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that they are writing about the life of Jesus from different perspectives, from different angles. They are recording some different things, and you want to read all four Gospels to get the full picture. To get the full picture. But there are no contradictions between the Gospels. So, I want to make sure we remember that as well. Alright, the other thing about the writings as well, is we see that yes, God did uh, in, um, teach and, and instruct, encourage and inspire the writers. And he showed them what to write. But God also, what, what he did is he, he kept the personality of the writer in the writing god is the author that the, the writers are the are the are the pens but god allowed them to write it in their own per we see the personality the character the, the nature of the individual in the writing we see in how it was written like for, for example john is very emotional it's a very emotional one it's a very sensitive one it's very personal it, it's very uh it's very intimate as we see uh, the, the relationship between uh, John, how he looked up to Jesus and, and, and followed him and how he loved him. And we, we see this in the writing. And we, so we see a different form of character and personality in the other writers. So with this, let's take a look. The beginning of the letter is also very important as we see uh, how, how they write it and what it's about. We see Luke. Luke was uh, was written a, uh, a while later after all these things and uh, Luke wrote it a while later after after the ascension all this stuff uh, we see uh, it's a letter to the was it Theophilus uh, uh, detailing all the things that went on as he he's giving the gospel of the whole story of the life of Jesus Christ. He's recounting all these things and the spirit of God is sparking the, the, the memory, sparking the understanding of all these things in him so that he wrote down all the details without contradiction. It wasn't like he was sitting there, okay, what happened again? I don't remember. It was just flooding to his mind and the Lord is causing him to remember. Just as Jesus said that the, that the Spirit, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost will cause you to be in remembrance of all these things. And that happened to Luke as we see that in his letter to Theophilus. Now Mark, he's writing down a detailed uh, just 
points, uh, kind of like bullet points, uh, uh, summarizations of all the, thing, all the things that happened. And we take these, each of these things, one point at a time, and we look in the other Gospels, we look throughout the rest of the Word of God, and we see it fleshed out in the others. So this is why it's also so important to study. Okay, so Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights as we go along through here, that as long as it's related to the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. So the gospel, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning. The beginning. Now, this is interesting. Because we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? In the beginning. It's the story of God. It's the story of God. The whole Bible is not our story. It's the story of God and how he made, he spoke, he gave, he interacted, he judged, he blessed, he condemned, he saved. It's all the story of God. And just, it just, just like this in the New Testament, we see here as Mark summarizes it so well, the, be, the beginning, in the beginning of what? The new covenant. It's the beginning of the covenant. It's the beginning of the covenant. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right here we see a proclamation of who Jesus is. So there's no misunderstandings. Jesus is the Son of God. What does that mean? Reverse the words. God the Son. That means God in the flesh. God in the flesh. The beginning of the gospel, which means the good news. Gospel means good news. So the good news of Jesus, the Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What does he say in verse 2? As it is written. So you see what, uh, what Mark is really emphasizing on. But not his, his, his own perception, his own feelings, his own interpretation, his own ideas, his feelings, his visions, or whatever else. But rather, he, he's, re, he's re referring back to the authority of God himself in God's proven word by the prophets, as it is written in the prophets. So if you actually go back into the Old Testament, and you take a look at the prophecies of the Messiah, the prophecies of the Christ, of who he'll be, how he'll come, what he'll do, what he came for, and, and all this stuff that the prophets talk about, Everything that they foretold, Jesus fulfilled to a T. Everything. As it is written in the prophets. You can prove the deity of the Messiah by the prophets. You can prove the, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of the Christ Messiah by the prophets. You can prove the works of the teaching and the miracles and the signs and the wonders by the prophets. As it is written in the prophets. So what is Mark, Mark saying here? Mark is saying that what I'm about to write, you can double check it all with, the, with all the writings of the prophets. And you'll see that, that I haven't written anything incorrectly. Everything that I'm about to tell you was foretold by the prophets. And this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is exactly what Jesus said and did. This is who Jesus is. And you can prove this by the prophets. As it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. That's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Now, who's this messenger that will prepare the way? Well, 
We looked at this before in a previous study, and we saw this is John the Baptist. And you can refer back to my video on did the Jews know who Jesus was? Did the Jews know who Jesus was? Please make sure you check out that video. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, to uh, prepare ye the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? It's the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. Now, we took a look at the word straight before and we see this is referring to not like, you know, a road, or a road, but is it talking about, uh, about behavior, character, the, the nature of society and all these things. It's talking about sin and righteousness. Straight means to correct, to be in correction of, of, of righteousness. That's the context here. Make it, make his paths, make his stop trying to change what god has said stop trying to find loopholes ways around stop trying to rewrite the words uh, stop stop uh, calling the words of god into question what it says is what it means prepare ye the way of the lord make his paths straight now if we see in at the beginning of verse three the voice of one crying in the wilderness this is uh, John the Baptist referred to himself as this, and this is what was prophesied as he would be like. He would come in the spirit of Elijah. That means the same same character, the same nature, the same work as Elijah to uh, to uh, bring the nation into conviction, to bring the people back to the ways of God. And uh, John the Baptist did just that. Now we see many people have a tendency to elevate individuals. We take our favorite preachers, our, our favorite personalities or whatever, and we kind of put them up on a pedestal. And we see, as John the Baptist said, I, I must decrease, he must increase. We see how John the Baptist referred to himself and saw himself of what he was in the, in the grand scheme. He was nothing but a voice in the wilderness, just an, just an echo in the wind. That's all he was. But he was no special person. But rather, he brought in, he spoke of, he testified and pointed to a special person. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make, it, make his paths straight. Now we see in verse 4, beginning of, of a discussion here, a lot of people are confused on, in verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness. John the Baptist baptized in the wilderness. Why? Why? Why was he baptizing? John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And people are like, see, see, baptism forgives sins. No. No, it doesn't. Water baptism does not forgive sins. The water, the act of dunking in the water, water baptism itself does not forgive sins. We will have to take a look at this because uh, because we're starting a new study some people may not have seen our previous stuff so we're going to go over this again i hope you don't mind and if you do tough all right so we take a look on why baptismal regeneration is not the gospel of jesus christ and is not what the bible is teaching we're going to kind of go over this a little quickly i have a whole video in detail of this on baptismal regeneration in our playlist according to the bible please make sure you check that one out now 
Again, we take a look at what does the Bible say? How is one forgiven? And to quickly summarize, we see in Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in whom, Jesus, in whom we have the redemption, redemption, redeemed, bought out, changed, made new, saved. We have redemption through his blood, redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace according to the riches of his grace all right now what is grace grace is the unmerited favor of god the unmerited favor of god that i didn't merit it i didn't earn it it's not a reward i don't deserve it but he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me all right so we see in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed of the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, so hold your finger there and go over to Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And Romans 10, 9 to 10, and Acts 16, 30, 31, and John 3, uh, uh, 3 and 5, and John 3, 16 to 18. We see all down through the word of God, salvation is by grace through faith, by belief alone. Period. That's what it says. Now, the other point that we want to bring up here is why john was baptizing and we see something that john also says about jesus that that i indeed baptize you with water but one is coming after me who will baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire what does that mean what does that mean the one is coming after me who will baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire well let's take a look at titus chapter 3 verse 5 Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Now we see in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Is water baptism something you have to do? Yeah. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast so it's a gift not a reward it's not something you earn so in titus chapter 3 verse 5 not by works of righteousness what's that religious actions religious actions religious works acts of religiosity religious tradition what that means and not by righteous and not by works of righteousness which we have done water baptism is something you do and it's a religious action it's a religious work that until i do x i can't receive y so if you're saying your salvation your forgiveness of sins is dependent upon you doing an action doing a, an actual physical work a, a physical tradition is something you have to do that you can't receive this until you do a thing that's righteous works to earn to gain i don't care how you try to 
worm your way around that, try to reword that. That's literally, by definition, what baptismal regeneration is. Righteous works to earn to gain, and that contradicts massive portions of Scripture. So Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy saved us. What's that? Grace. How does he save us? How does he save us? By his mercy, how does he save us? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That the Spirit of God comes down, washes you clean and cleanses you. What did John the Baptist say? He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's the purging, cleansing power of the Spirit of God that comes upon you, washes you clean of your sins, seals you, makes you new. It's the washing of the Holy Spirit of God. You are literally replacing the Holy Ghost with water by the gospel of baptismal regeneration. So, there's that. So, baptismal regeneration is uh, righteous works to earn to gain a works-based gospel, a false gospel. So let's go back to, here, to Mark chapter 1. Now, why was John the Baptist baptizing in the first place? Well, let's, let's read. Okay, verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem. Now, you remember when I, I did my video on, did the Jews know who Jesus was? And it's a really interesting study, and you see the proliferation of the, the news of the Christ Messiah, and how uh, all throughout the hill country about John the Baptist when he was born, and they knew who he was. It was he was foretold 400 years prior by the prophet Malachi, and everybody knew who John the Baptist was. And it went all throughout Israel. And now, and and we see later when Jesus was eight days old, and Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple, and they were met by the prophets and prophetesses, and that these these individuals went all throughout Jerusalem, proclaiming that the Christ Messiah had come. And then we see later on, um, when the when the wise men came, it says they went to Herod, see Herod, and they went all through it. All Jerusalem was in an uproar on this about about this new king that the wise men were talking about, and 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 the news about all that went everywhere. And we also see the shepherds, and they they went everywhere proclaiming that the Christ Messiah had come. And we see here at the River Jordan, what does it say? All the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem came down to John the Baptist to hear of him. And what did he what did he do? He pointed out Jesus Christ to all these people as the Lamb of God, the Christ Messiah that would come. So they all knew who he was. And then it says that his that Jesus and his ministry, his fame went all throughout the land. And it says in the Gospels, the entire towns and cities would empty out and come to see him. So everyone knew who he was. And we see in, uh, I think it's John chapter 7, where Jesus says, you know who I am. So it's really interesting. So seeing the fame and the the the, the proliferation of this, we, it's just, it annoys me <laughs> when you see some of the, the Jesus films, the Jesus movies, they don't portray this. It's like just a few people, maybe maybe 20 people, maybe 50 people, and some scenes like maybe 100. Uh, no. There were thousands and tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people 
knew all about him would come to see him. So just something just to spark your, your thoughts on this. Okay, verse 5, and they and and there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him. Now look at look at the words. They were baptized of him in the river Jordan, doing what? Confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. So you see, water baptism confessing their sins now this is interesting that this is before the cross and technically john three sixteen and all the the ministry of jesus christ is technically by dispensation old testament fyi new testament the new covenant is in the blood of jesus christ that was shed at the cross so the technically the new covenant was enacted at the cross of the resurrection that the work of jesus christ this is before this, so this is technically old testament john three sixteen is old testament do you ever think of that just something to bake your noodle oh so we see here as well in the wording baptized confessing their sins now where did the whole practice of baptism come in when when and where was this initiated this is brought in as God taught Moses at Sinai regarding the, the priestly works and all the protocols, all the stuff for the priests and the tabernacle that was carried over into the temple, temple ordinances. Now, before a priest could start their ministry, they would, uh, they would uh, wash themselves with water in a, in a symbolic act showing that they were right with God. That they had confessed their sins, that they, they had gotten themselves right with the Lord, and then they would wash themselves with water in a public display to signify that they that they were right with the Lord. That water baptism is symbolic. It's symbolic. It's the outward demonstration, public demonstration to signify what has happened inwardly. Alright. Now as we also see is a picture that with the saints that uh, as the language that is used in the scriptures as it, as we are called the bride of Christ we're called the bride of Christ so we see a, a, a marriage language that is used there now there's a, a great explanation a demonstration that was given by another preacher I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it for this as uh, he says it is much like marriage now, when you believe on the Lord, and this is regarding those who believe in baptismal regeneration. Here's something to give you, just to give you a thought. Now, it says, when, when you get married, uh, do, do you have to have a ring? Do you have to have a ring to get married? No. So you could be married without a ring. Yeah. What does the ring signify? What does the ring signify? You see, it's uh, the uh, with this ring, IV wed. Does the ring marry you? No, no. It's just a hunk of metal. What does what is the ring for? What is the purpose? What does it signify? Now, when you see someone out in public and you look at their hand and you see that they have a ring on their hand, what does that mean? That means they're married. Okay, so what marries you? Not the ring, the vows. The vows marry you. The, the ring is the symbol of the vows. It's an outward public display 
that signifies, it's a symbol that signifies vows were given. So it's my vows and, and it's, it's what I said to the Lord, not the water, not the water. That technically water baptism, water baptism is your ring in your marriage to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So what they do is they come to John the Baptist at the River Jordan. They hear the preaching of John. They get all convicted about their sin and, and, and what they've done. They call upon the Lord, forgive me. I, I confess my sins. And they get themselves right with the Lord. Then they go and get baptized. The outward display, I have confessed. I have believed. I have got myself right with the Lord. And, and because of this, this is why I am doing this. That's what water baptism is. Water baptism is the outward display symbol that signifies what has happened inwardly. That's what it means. Uh, the, uh, it says that the preaching of the baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That if you believe on the Lord, follow this example as it was taught by God. Now, what did Jesus say? Go and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Lord. Now, why baptize? Because this is, they're following the same symbol. Because what does the Bible say? We are priests. We're believer priests. Is what the Bible says. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. What know you not? You're the temple of God which is in you. So, so following the ordinances as was handed down by God, that before the priests could start their ministry, they would get dunked in water to signify that they were right with the Lord. They would be water baptized. That's what the Bible says. So, there you go. Now, just... In addition to all of this, I just want to throw this out there just for fun, that uh, for those who still want to argue this, still want to argue, well, well, what do you do about this or what do you do about this? Okay, let's just go down really quickly uh, through some of these arguments. Now, firstly, baptismal regeneration is not the gospel of Jesus Christ because if it was, it would immensely contradict the very definition of grace. Grace means the unmerited favor of God. But if I have to do something to earn it, grace ceases to exist. And we see that grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's given by grace. It's not, it's not something I earn or I maintain, I gain. It's not a reward. Okay? Now, if baptism as well, if water baptism is so important that that you must be baptized have your sins forgiven then i guess the thief on the cross is in hell and the baptism regenerationist argument is well god made an exception for him okay so i guess there's more than one way to heaven then isn't he is that what you're saying there's more than one way to heaven that that god can literally uh, save people in other ways than other than what the bible says that there's more than one way one truth one life uh i didn't know god makes exceptions to salvation no no that, that's stupid we see the thief on the cross is a great example of this today you will be with me in paradise he says to the guy and he was saved because of his belief because he believed because he trusted and believed on the lord jesus christ he was saved all right now, 
we'll get down to we'll get down to John. Uh, there's some more information I want to give on John and why he was baptizing. That that's really interesting. So I'll get I'll, I'll I'll come back to that in just a moment. But just I just really want to nail this one down. All right. If baptism itself is so important, if water baptism is so important for your salvation, why didn't Jesus say so in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 to Nicodemus? And you read what Jesus said to Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. Jesus says nothing about you, you need to be dunked in water. Um that's awkward and we also see uh, paul uh, when uh, when he was imprisoned and we see the earthquake i think it was him and paul and silas i always get that mixed up i was paul and silas are in the prison and they, they're praising the lord in the earthquake and the doors open the chains fall off and the stocks break open and the jailer comes running in and paul says fear not we're all here and then he brings them out and the jailer falls at the feet of the apostle paul says sirs what must i do to be saved and Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Mm, how come Paul didn't say anything about you need to be baptized for your sins to be forgiven? How come Paul didn't say anything about baptism? He baptized them later. After they believed. Okay, but if water baptism is so important for your salvation, then... How come Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 14 to 16 that he was glad he did not baptize any but a few? Wouldn't you think that if baptism was so important, he would have said, I am glad I baptized many? Um, and if water baptism is so important for your salvation, then why did Paul say that he does not come preaching baptism? Uh, wouldn't he said I do come preaching baptism if what baptism was a requirement? He says this in First Corinthians chapter one verse seventeen. And how come in First Peter three twenty one you see in the actual language language when you study the passage there and you do word studies on this, you see that the First Peter three twenty one is it uses in in like manner, which means metaphor, wherein baptism doth also now save us. And then it goes on to explain how it saves your conscience, not your soul. It doesn't put put off the filth of the flesh, as is mentioned in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, the sins of the flesh. But rather, it saves your conscience, not your soul. Um, yeah. And also, how come if baptism was so important for your salvation, we see in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, it says you confess the belief of your heart and you're saved. It doesn't say anything about baptism. Do you not think... That if water baptism was a requirement for your salvation, it would be mentioned in every single salvationary passage of the Bible? You don't think? And Philip the Evangelist of the Ethiopian eunuch, the eunuch says, Here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Then we see in Acts 8, verses 36-37, and Philip the Evangelist says, If you believe, then you may. Because belief saves you. Water baptism is the is the public display of following and obedience. That's why it saves your conscience. Because you're acting in obedience to what Christ has commanded. And you're getting baptized as Christ commanded. But it's not salvationary. So we see in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. The shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Redemption through his blood. We're saved by the riches of his grace. 
Ephesians 1.13, when you trust and believe in the gospel. So we see in Ephesians 1.7, your sins are forgiven by grace. Ephesians 1.13, you're sealed by the Spirit of God by belief. Acts 10.43, your sins are forgiven by belief on his name. So the Bible literally says, your sins are forgiven and you're sealed by the Spirit of God by belief alone. So... All right, so we established this. Baptismal regeneration is a false gospel. If you want to know more on this, uh, more, uh, more, uh, my argument on this, please go check out my video in the playlist. According to the Bible, scroll down, you'll see what is baptism. What is baptism? If you need help finding it, let me know. I'll be happy to help you out. All right, so let's go back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and verse 5. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay, so now you see what's going on. That John is preaching, and the people are getting convicted. They're confessing their sins, and they're coming to John, and he is baptizing them to signify that they have confessed, and they are getting right, because he's preaching to make the crooked ways straight which is the hearts. He's making the hearts right and correct by the preaching of righteousness and the conviction of sin. And the people are getting right with God. They're getting straight with God. That's what that means. All right? Okay. All right, so verse 6. And John was clothed with camel's hair. Oh, you mean he wasn't wearing a three-point suit with tie and he wasn't wearing the proper clothes? He wasn't standing behind a pulpit? You know, God really doesn't care what clothes you wear to church. And all of the fundamentalists, all the Pharisees, who's, who, I'm sorry that my phylacteries aren't as big as yours, but we saw all of the Pharisees are gasping and fainting because I'm preaching against tradition. It, God doesn't care what clothes you wear. But the clothing does signify attitude, but again, it's not a requirement. You don't have to wear fancy clothes to church or whatever, uh, but it does signify outward. Like, for example, how would you dress for your, for your friend's wedding? How would you dress for a funeral? Why wouldn't you want to look nice for God? But the point is, is, is uh, we're doing it because we want to, not because you have to. So as you see here, it's not of the outward. As Jesus says, judge not after the outward appearance. Uh, John the Baptist, as Jesus says, was the greatest of all the prophets. John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets. He wore camel skin and he ate grasshoppers. He, he was poor. The sky was 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 his roof. He had no home. So, John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of skin about his loins, he did eat locusts and wild honey. <laughs> so, quite a character. Uh, he looked like a wild man. So this is also why we shouldn't judge after the appearance. Well, you look. You no, know, who's the better preacher? Well, which one looks nicest? We're very biased by our by our outward appearance so we judge people like this but if some guy looked like a wild man and he wore, wore this kind of clothes and, look, and he ate that kind of food we wouldn't think much of him we wouldn't really listen to him we'd rather listen to the guy in the big fancy church and the big fancy suit and the big fancy pulpit with the big fancy education um, that's why god uses the base things of the world to confound the wise so just something to think about and we see that mark is recording now what john the baptist looked like the kind of character and we know by the language of John as well that how he he judged the Pharisees, calling them a generation of vipers. He he wasn't afraid of anyone. He didn't care about anything. 
He didn't care about anything but, but God and his word and his righteousness. He had one job to do and he didn't and it didn't matter to him who got in the way. He was going to go through them and he wasn't going to go around them. And John uh, clothed in camel's hair with a girdle of skin, uh, camel skin about his loins. He did eat locusts and wild honey and preached. And he preached. I love that. Verse verse seven, the first two words, and what do you do? Preached. Now, preaching is proclaiming, proliferating. This is declaring the ways of the Lord. You get up there, you take a deep breath, and you tell them how it is. And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose talking about the christ messiah that would come now here's a, here's a question in verse 7 he's describing the christ messiah that's going to come and what he will do he will what he will achieve and what what he's coming for uh he'll baptize you the holy ghost and with fire he, he'll bring the spirit of god upon you how come he didn't say the name of jesus how come John wasn't telling uh, the one coming after me whose name is Jesus? He will do this. How come he didn't say he didn't say uh, my my cousin Jesus, who was born of Joseph and Mary, who was born in Bethlehem, as foretold by the prophets, he's going to start his. How come he didn't do any of that? Because he didn't know. Well, how do you know he didn't know? Go to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1. Okay. Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 24. And they which were sent, sent to the and they which were sent to the Pharisees, and they came because they were wondering, who are you? Saying John the Baptist, who are you? And they, so the Pharisees sent servants to ask John, who are you? And they asked him and said to him, why baptizest thou then if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, nor that prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latch, latch I'm not worthy to unloose. These things are done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Okay, now he's declaring him, but look at this. Verse 30, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 31, John chapter 1, verse 31. Look what it says. And I knew him not. That... Time had gone by in um, Jesus and his uh, growing up and all this that John and Jesus were apart long enough that John did not know who Jesus was. And I knew him not. That to look at him, I didn't recognize him. I didn't know who that was at first. And I knew him not. But he, but he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing. And that is why I am baptizing. Therefore, uh, therefore am I come baptized with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and an abode upon him. And I knew him not. I did not know who this man was that came up to me at first. 
because his declaring, Behold the Lamb of God, occurred after he baptized Jesus. It says, it says, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water. Who sent John to baptize with water? God. Told John, Go to the river Jordan and preach righteousness, making the crooked ways straight, and whoever confesses their sins, baptize with water. The Messiah is coming, and you will know who he is by this. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw him by record that this is the Son of God. And then so he's preaching this and he would okay, uh, and the Spirit of God didn't say, nope, not you. Nope, not you. Not you. And then along comes Jesus. And he baptizes Jesus and the Spirit of God descends on him. And he's like, behold the Lamb of God. And he found him. That's why he says, behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. That's what happened. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Um, verse 7, and preach, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latch of his shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Why? Because Jesus is God. That's why. Nobody's worthy. Verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. It's the baptism of the Holy Ghost that saves you. Not water baptism. Water baptism is the symbolic gesture action that symbolizes that you have been baptized by the Holy Ghost. What's baptism of the Holy Ghost? That that's the that's language that describes how the the Spirit of God comes upon you in, in such a completion, uh, like how you are completely submersed in water. You're completely submersed in the blood of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. He comes upon you fully, washes you fully, covers you fully. You're held in the hand fully. Your your name's written fully. It's the full immersion in the grace and righteousness and salvation of God. That's what that means. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not the charismatic weird thing that you wait for until you can start barking like cows or something. But rather, it baptizes you with the Holy Ghost. That is this, that's salvation, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Titus 3.5. So if you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, right here in verse 8, in verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize the Holy Ghost. In the margin, if you have space, if you're able to, and if you want to, write Titus 3.5. Because right here it says, baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Titus 3.5 is what it is. That's what that is. That's what baptism with the Holy Ghost is. It's the regeneration, the renewing salvation. That's what that is. So verse 8 is uh, paired with Titus 3.5. All right, verse nine. So, okay, so we see the the uh, the beginning of the declaration by John the Baptist. He has now declared who Jesus is to the people, he, and uh, the people now know who Jesus is. John has fulfilled his ministry. He has done what he was supposed to do, as was foretold by Malachi. He's done his work, and now now he's pointing people to Jesus, as he is declared. He's called the Herald of the Christ, the Herald of the Christ. 
Okay, so verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth, the Galilee, and was baptized of John and Jordan. Now, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Jesus didn't have sin. He didn't need to confess his sins. Why did Jesus get baptized? Give this some thought. Why do you think? Why do you think Jesus got baptized? Why he needed to be baptized? Because, well, no sin is involved with Jesus' baptism. Mary says that he was starting his ministry. Exactly. Now, we see, as I mentioned earlier about the priestly ordinances, the protocols of the priests, as we see in the Bible, Jesus is called our high priest. Now, why? Why is he called our high priest? Because following the language of the symbology and everything, the protocols as, as is done here, it was the high priest. It, it, the high priest is the one that once a year would take the, the, the blood of a lamb before the mercy seat and would, uh, and would anoint the blood on the mercy seat to, to signify the atonement for sins uh, for, uh, uh, before God as the sacrifice of the lamb, the shedding of the blood is done and, uh, for, the, for the salvation of the people. And what did Jesus do? He uh, went before the Father with his blood and as our high priest anointed the mercy seat before God, as the Bible literally says he did. So we see here as Jesus as our high priest, as he's called prophet, priest, and king. He went in uh, and preaching like a prophet. He worked like a priest and he is the king of kings. As he fulfilled all these things. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a priest. And he's more than just a king. But he he did the works like as, and but he's much more than. So we see here as he's called our high priest. So before he could start his ministry, he followed the ordinances as he gave them to Moses years ago. Uh, as he fulfilled this as before a priest to start the ministry, they wash themselves in water to show they're right and ready to start the ministry. And he set an example and we follow his example. So there we go. All right. So, um, and, okay. And they confess Jesus was baptized of John and Jordan, verse 10. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It wasn't a dove. But it, but it, if you were to explain what it kind of looked like, it kind of looked like a dove. But it wasn't a dove. It was like a dove like a dove descending upon him as john 1 33 to 34 and simultaneously something else happened the heavens opened and there came a voice from heaven verse 11 and there came a voice from heaven saying thou art my beloved son in whom i am well pleased the voice of almighty god spoke from the sky saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased so you see father word and holy ghost all right there that this is the beginning of the work of god god approved this god justified this god validated this god put a stamp of approval on this we see the fullness of the godhead right here isn't that amazing Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, remember, remember, what does it say? 
And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem. All the land of Judea and Jerusalem, everyone in Jerusalem, and of Jerusalem, and they, and they of Jerusalem were there. Saw this and heard this. Now, this brings up an interesting point. A lot of people say, well, well, if God would just reveal himself to me, then I'll believe. If God would just do this, if God would say this, if God would just speak to me, if God would just show me, then I'll believe. Um, how many miracles and signs and wonders and supernatural manifestations did the people receive by the hand of Jesus and they still didn't believe? People literally raised from the dead. We see lepers heal, blind see, lame walk, deaf hear, mute talk. We see literally the Spirit of God descending on Jesus, the voice of God from the sky. I mean, like, what what do you need to so that you would believe? This is why Jesus blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is why experiences aren't as important as belief of faith and truth of doctrine. And many other things did Jesus in the sight of them proving who he was. And they didn't believe. So you can't always account on experiences to sway a person to salvation. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. Um... Verse 11, and there came a voice from heaven saying that thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, what does he mean by this? Thou art my beloved son, son, son. Okay, so for this, we go back to Isaiah 7, 14 of the virgin birth. Isaiah 9, 6 on the identity of the son that is that is given, the son given, uh, child born son given is called what? The uh, wonderful counselor, the mighty God the everlasting father prince of peace micah 5 2 uh the one whose ways are of old even of everlasting is born in bethlehem that literally means is interpretation by by he in hebrew uh, the almighty lord god it will be uh, will appear in bethlehem okay so if we go over to philippians chapter 2 philippians chapter 2 galatians ephesians philippians and verses 5 to 8, we see them talking about Jesus, who being in the form of God, the form of God. Okay, so there's key right there. It's very important that we pay attention to specific words. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, I'm talking about this. The form of God. The form of God. Okay, and uh, found out Robbie to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, that means flesh and blood of a man, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we see in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, the word which is God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see so many here in the Bible. Now, we also go over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. 
Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. It's Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. Okay? So we see now Colossians if we go over to the book of Colossians uh, chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ so it's talking about Jesus Christ verse 9 verse 9 for in him Jesus in Jesus for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily so who is Jesus son okay Jesus is the body the flesh and blood body the name of Jesus is the name of the body Christ is the promised one, the anointed one. Christ is is the Messiah. Now we'll go back into Isaiah 7:14, Isaiah 9:6, Micah 5:2, Isaiah 53, and you look at all the prophecies of the Christ Messiah that would come. You see, okay, what is the Christ Messiah called? The Christ Messiah is the Spirit of God that was promised that would come down to his people. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the almighty sovereign Lord God will, will come down. And how will, how will we see him? How will we know who he is? We're told that, that the form, the body, the son will be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. And he would, he would do these things. And this is how we'll identify him. Now, we go back into the Bible, we see that, that as, we, as Scripture says, that God is spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. No man hath seen God at any time and lived. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, but, but if we go back and we see, we see an explanation of this. Because we can't look upon God in his spiritual form he always has to have a veil covering so that we can behold him like the pillar of cloud the pillar of fire the shekinah glory cloud upon the tabernacle temple the burning bush the body of jesus the body of jesus is the quotation marks veil covering like the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, where the veil coverings, the burning bush is a veil covering. The Shekinah glory cloud is a veil covering. And God has a veil covering that, co that so that we can behold him. The body of Jesus is the veil covering of the spirit of almighty God in him. I am in the father, the father in me. I and the father are one. If you see me, you've seen the father. Son of is the, is the body of, the form of, is the veil covering of God in the form of Jesus 
Because also we see in Acts 20, 28, it says that God purchased the church with his own blood. Spirits can't bleed. Spirits can't die. So he formed a body for himself that could. Does that make sense? All right. There came a voice from heaven where the Lord says, this is my son. This is my body. This is my form. Where the Lord is justifying, validating uh, right here at the River Jordan with John the Baptist and all the people. God is saying, this is my body. This is the form that, that is fulfilling the prophecies as you were well aware of since the time that John the Baptist was born. Since the, uh, since, uh, the time Jesus was born. And since the time that the prophets and prophetesses told you all when he was eight days old. And now you're being told again by John the Baptist. And I'm telling you, this is who Jesus is. That's what that means. Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, what did Jesus do from this point forward? That he fulfilled this, got started, and it says in verse 12, And immediately the Spirit driveth him in, into the wilderness. This is where he's out in the wilderness, or he, he's fasting for 40 days. And there in the wilderness, 40 days tempted of satan and was and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him that's matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11 where satan thought that uh, that because and satan not really as um i should be careful but not as intelligent as he thinks he is because he's thinking he can tempt god almighty but here's the problem is is satan judges after the appearance satan judges after the appearance that what satan sees is a flesh and blood body satan sees a flesh and blood body that is tired weak hungry and thirsty so we see He's in the wilderness, fasting, very hungry. How long have you ever have how long have you gone without eating? I mean like complete abstinence fast. You get really hungry. Really hungry. Now imagine not eating for 40 days. And we see now Satan has tempts Jesus with bread. His first temptation is with bread. Now the thought of mad, you know, when you're when you're really, 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 really hungry, and you smell fresh baking bread. The thought of it, even the thought of it, right now, this makes your mouth water. And the fresh bread, and imagine you know butter, fresh butter on the fresh baked hot bread right out of the oven. Oh, just a minute. Now imagine walking past a bakery and you're smelling all that, all the thought, of it, especially when you're. Haven't eaten for 40 days. The thought of it. Just so we see Jesus tempting the flesh. Jesus, uh, Satan is tempting the flesh of Jesus. And, and uh, doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what is in the body. That this is the body of God. He's tempting the body of God. Because he sees that Jesus looks like everyone else. Jesus looks like everyone else. Isaiah 53. 
He has no form nor comeliness with which we would desire of him. He looks like your average John Smith. That if you saw a crowd of people, you would not be able to pick out Jesus from the crowd. That's why Judas Iscariot had to point out Jesus with a kiss to the soldiers. Because Jesus is what's called a, a gray man. Uh, that, that's a term that, of meaning one that blends into the crowd very easily. He's blend into the crowd. Where Jesus could just turn around, walk away, and he just dis it seems to disappear. He just vanishes because he just blends right into the crowd. He has such bland, generic uh, features. So Satan sees the body of Jesus and thinks he can tempt him. Tempts him with bread. The lusts of the flesh. Okay, that didn't work. As it is written, uh, uh, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He rebukes Satan with scripture. So then Satan's like, okay, fine. If I, if I can get you with the, the, the lust of the stomach, maybe I get you with the, the lust of the eyes. And he takes him up into a high hill and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. If you would but bow down, worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's prosperity gospel. That's the prosperity gospel. That the prosperity gospel is literally preaching what, what Lucifer promises. Uh, give you all the kingdoms of the world, the riches of the world. That, that, but Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay. But anyways, uh, we see that Satan is tempting Jesus with riches and power and fame to the body. Thinking, thinking that, that he, can, he can somehow reach the flesh aside from the spear in the flesh of Jesus. He's still talking to the flesh of Jesus. Not understanding that the flesh of Jesus has no sin. And therefore, there's nothing in the flesh of Jesus that Satan could even tempt. But Satan tries again. Okay, if I can't get you with your stomach, if I can't get you with, your, with the eyes, then I'll get you by the mind. As then Satan, again, as re, is rebuked by Jesus, as it is written, thou shalt worship only the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. Satan's like, okay, fine. And then takes Jesus up into the pinnacle of the uh, of the temple to the highest point on the temple. It says, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from this. For it is written, he will give his angels charge of thee and hold, hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan, all smug and arrogant, quotes scripture. Because Jesus kept saying, as it is written, as it is written. And Satan's like, well, as it is written, all being all smarmy and sarcastic, and quotes scripture to try to tempt Jesus. Satan knows how to use the Bible. The devils know how to use scripture. Satan was able to deceive a third of the angels that stood in the presence of God. What makes you think he can't deceive you? That's why you need to know scripture to be able to test the spirits to see if they're of God. So Satan quotes scripture to try to tempt Jesus. But what did he do? He cherry picked scripture because he quoted Psalm 91, but he stopped one verse short because if he had kept quoting, he would have wound up contradicting himself, rebuking himself. But he, but he cherry picked. Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. Satan was tempting Jesus. Satan was tempting Jesus. What did Jesus say to the devil in Matthew 4 and on the final temptation? What did Jesus say? 
he says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. Now, in, the, in this one temptation, takes him up into the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple. And Satan says, and this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest that any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus, in verse 7 of Matthew 4, Jesus said to him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Who was Satan tempting? Jesus. Jesus says, Tempt not the Lord thy God. Jesus literally claims right there, claiming pr proof right there, stating who he is. Jesus says he is the Lord God. And Satan is tempting the Lord God. And he was there in the wilderness, 40 days, tempted as Satan. And Satan failed there. He failed in his temptations. And it says, and he departed from him for a season. He departed from him for a season. What does that mean? He goes away. And he waits, and he watches, he gets ready, and he comes back again. We see a few times Satan came back and tried to tempt and tried to try and trouble. A few times he would go away for a while and would come back. A lot of Christians have this incorrect idea, thinking that when you get become a Christian, that the devils can't come back, can't trouble you. Anymore. Why, I, I, I believe in the Lord, I'm trusting the Lord. Why do the devils tempt me and trouble me so much? Why'd they do it to Jesus? Because they don't care who you are, what you are, what's going on. If they see the righteousness of God, doesn't matter who it is, even if it's Jesus, they're going to be attacking it, trying to shut it down. When you make yourself a threat, they're going to they're going to take you on. So Satan departed from him for a season, and we see the angels of, of God came to encourage and to help and comfort. And as we see, that's what the Bible says the angels even do for us. Uh, that they're they're helpers of the saints. Okay, so in Mark chapter 1, verse 13, he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted as Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministering unto him. Verse 14. So he finishes up there, and he comes back into town. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Oh, yeah, this is a big passage of time. Now we see he's skipping ahead a little bit. In uh, verse uh, 14, we see that uh, before... John went to Herod to tell him because he had taken his brother's wife. We see uh, adultery and fornication with this. Uh, John was sent to tell uh, King Herod how he had sinned. He needs to get himself right with the Lord. Yes, the prophets uh, uh, of Israel would even go to the Gentile kings and Gentile people. In the Old Testament, the prophets were the Old Testament missionaries that would go into all the world preaching the truth of God as Jonah went to Nineveh. But as uh, we see before this that john uh, was preaching jesus declaring jesus as the christ messiah and was still uh, working and preaching and teaching and he sent his disciples as john had hit had disciples he sent them to go and join with jesus and uh, uh, telling them who he was and others and they need to follow jesus now and then then we see now okay john is now gone to herod and told told him off and herod didn't like that and threw him in prison now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. All right. What is the first sermon of Jesus? 
What is the first sermon of Jesus? What is the gospel of the kingdom of God? Verse 15. Saying, the time is fulfilled. It's time now. It's here now. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. Believe the gospel. Mark 1.15 is the first sermon of Jesus. It's the first message, first sermon of Jesus. Mark 1.15. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, there are so many professed Christians, so many other people who really misconstrue what the kingdom of God is. They think the kingdom of God is Israel. No, it's not. I think the kingdom of God is the seven mountain mandate where, where we as Christians finally go and Christianize the government, Christianize science, Christianize education, Christianize me medical science. All the, No, no, no. It's a seven mountain mandate. It's a bunch of nonsense. Now, what did Jesus say? What is the kingdom of God? Okay, so we want to go to Luke 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's go to Luke 17. Luke 17, and we want verses 20 to 21. Luke 17, 20 to 21. Luke 17, 20 to 21, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, they came to him, and the, the language here, they came in such arrogance and obstinance. They demanded Jesus. They demanded of Jesus. When the kingdom of God should come, when is the kingdom of God going to appear? When are we going to see it in society? When are we going to see it here? When are we going to see the kingdom of God? And Jesus answered, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It comes not by sight. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you the kingdom of god is within you what did jesus say to pontius pilate my kingdom is not of this world for if my kingdom were of this world then would my servants fight the kingdom of God is not Israel. It's not, it's not the seven mountain mandate. It's not some other thing we see on earth. The kingdom of God is within you because what is the kingdom of God? What is the, what is the kingdom of God? What is the gospel of the kingdom of God? Salvation, the spirit of God. Because what is within you? What is within you? What's within you? What enters you? What seals you? What washes you? What cleanses you? What holds you? God. God is the kingdom of God. The spirit of Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God. This, the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ that dwells in the heart of every believer. Ephesians 3, 17. Christ, Jesus Christ is the kingdom. He is the all in all. He is the everything. It's not nations and societies and empires. It's not rocks and stones and buildings. It's not achievements. It's a person. And the kingdom of God is a person. It's him and where he is. Where he is. You heard the saying, home is where, where you hang your hat. The kingdom of God is where Jesus Christ is. And where is he right now? He's not on earth. He's within us. He's within us. 
standing by by the right hand of the father that's where the kingdom of god is and how do i get there by repent and believe the gospel believe in the lord jesus christ the time is fulfilled the time is now let today be the day of salvation the kingdom of god is at hand what does that mean what does that mean it's right here right in front of you because who's saying it jesus I'm right here, right in front of you. I'm presenting it. I'm showing you. I'm right here, right now, right in front of you. The time is now. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. For, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that fears for a little time and vanishes away. Take no thought, thought of the morrow, forgetting the things of the past. Let today be the day of salvation. The time is now. The time is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So many people say, well, you don't need to repent to be saved. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What did Jesus say? Unless ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God calls at all men everywhere to repent. What does it mean to repent? Repenting, repenting. What does it mean to repent? Repentance isn't works. Repentance is the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. That you see your sin. I see the state I'm in. I see Jesus Christ. I see what he's done for me. And I believe this. I reject this. It's a belief of the heart. It's a change of mind, a change of heart. It's an acknowledgement of the sin state. And it's a belief on the truth where you turn your back because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You let go and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not works. It's a, it's a belief of the heart. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now repent. To, to repent is also sh uh, shown by a, uh, a demonstration where you're driving down the road and you're going this way. You realize you're going the wrong way. You should be going that way. So what do you do? You repent on the road. You stop, you turn around, and you go the other way. Now, it gives us a direction. Repent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says. This is what's called repentance unto salvation. Repentance unto salvation. Where the Catholics misunderstand that they think that means I have to keep repenting until I get saved at the end of my life. No, 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 no. Repent, repent, repentance unto salvation is repentance brings you to the cross because because by the law I see my sin I see I see who I am I see what Jesus Christ has done as that there must be the death of a lamb the shedding of the blood and the death of a lamb uh, for salvation to save me from the condemnation of the law Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the the law has convicted me of my sin and I see the Lamb of salvation and I believe that's repentance unto salvation. The kingdom of God is here now before you. The kingdom of God is the gospel. The kingdom of God is the cross, the burial, the resurrection. The kingdom of God is the person of Jesus. And not just the body, but is the spirit, the God-man, God the Son, the Son of God. God Almighty fulfilled his promise. He said he would come and he did. The kingdom of God is the word of God, the ways of God, the righteousness of God. It is the person of God, Jesus. Jesus the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh we see this in first john 5 20. first john chapter 5 verse 20 and we know that the son of god has come and has given us an understanding he has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true i am the way the truth and the life that we may know him that is true 
And we are in him that is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The kingdom of God is not nations and societies and rock and stone. The kingdom of God is not traditions of men and achievements of men. It's not governments and empires. It's not, it's not buildings. It is not tra our traditions and religiosity. The kingdom of God is the person of Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. It's within you. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's in the hand of Jesus Christ. It's in the hand of Jesus Christ being offered unto you. It's before. It's at hand. It means right here. It's so close you can take it. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see that? Do you see that? The time is fulfilled. It's all been fulfilled. The time, the time, the time of salvation, the time of the Christ Messiah, the time of Jesus, the time of the promises of God, the time of the cross, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is right here offered as a free gift. How do I take it? How do I be a part of the kingdom of God? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You will be in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. The first sermon of Jesus is the gospel of salvation the first sermon of jesus repent 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 in the name of jesus christ believe the gospel well now what does it mean to believe now we see belief there's different forms of belief there's a believing in and a believing on now it's interesting when we see that when jesus is talking to nicodemus when paul is talking to the jailer we see that 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 they say believe on they don't say believe in believing in is intellectualism of the of the mind but we see that you can miss heaven by 18 inches the distance from the brain to the heart we see believing on it is putting your faith on something you have in as you understand you have knowledge you have the enlightenment this this is uh Hebrews 4 to 6 and Hebrews 10 26 it talks about those who have the enlightenment and they see it they get it they understand and then they reject it they're not yet saved they resisted the grace they resisted it they were not yet saved that then the enlightenment the knowledge the understanding the intellectualism but we see with this then now you need to do something else it says in Romans 10 9 to 10 to confess the belief of the heart for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks as Jesus says and you put your faith on something I use the analogy of the chair that you want to get a new chair for your front porch pretend you have a front porch pretend you need a new chair okay so you need a new a new fancy chair for your front porch now I like the old uh, Amish Mennonite style rustic furniture kind of thing. Like that style. I, I like that stuff. 
And so you, you, you're looking and then you see one. And it's like, oh, that one grabs your attention. Oh, I like I like the looks of that one. So you go over to it and you you go walk all around it and you take a look at it. You see it's all fastened correctly and all this. You even read the tag about who made it and how they put it together, what wood they used, and and the and you and you're looking at it. You see it's it's well built. You see it's solid. You you understand it. You trust the source. All this. You know you know it's strong. You know it holds you up. That's believing in. And what's believing on? You sit on it. You put your whole faith and trust on the chair that it would hold you up by sitting in it. Put your faith on a, on something. You put your faith on Jesus. You may know all about it. You may have heard of him. You may even read the book. You may even, may even have read the instruction manual. All about it. You know. You'll get it. You understand. You have the intellectuals and the enlightenment. You get it. That's believing in. Believing on is now making it personal. To make it personal. You need to sit in that chair. You need to grab a hold of that cross. You need to grab his hand. You need to feel the nail print scars. You need to fall at his feet. You need to make it personal by confessing the belief of your heart upon out of the mouth, out of the mouth, the belief of the heart that you confess it. You introduce yourself. You talk to him. You make it personal. You need to put your faith on. You need to put your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Say, well, I said a prayer. That doesn't save you. One, two, three, repeat after me, recite the magic incantation doesn't save you. It's the belief of the heart. Not that because I said words, not because I, I said, I said a prayer. It's the belief of the heart. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know why he went to the cross? Do you understand that you're, you're a sinner condemned in your sins and that you sin of your will and that you did these things. You broke the laws of God. You condemned yourself, but he so loved you. He made a way for you and it's by grace. It's by grace. And you see Jesus, the Christ, the mighty God, who went to the cross for your sins. He shed his blood and died, was buried and rose again third day. Do you believe that? Do you know that to be true? Now, have you personally told him and told him from your heart with the understanding and the knowledge? Have you told him? That's how you're saved. That's how you're saved. Going to church doesn't save you. Reading the Bible doesn't save you. Being good and keeping the Ten Commandments doesn't save you. Getting dunked in, in water doesn't save you. Nothing, nothing saves you. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But by the name of Jesus Christ. Or the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Have you bowed at the name of Jesus Christ? Have you gone to him? Have you, have you called him Lord? Have you believed upon him personally? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be in the presence of God? We see that in 1 John 5, 13. 1 John 5, 13. These things have it written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can have the absolute assurance. I know 100% that when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of God. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know 100% beyond shadow of a doubt that I am born again, saved, that I'm held in the hand of God, that he will never cast me away, that no man can pluck me out. That means I can't pluck myself out either. I know that the salvation of my Lord, my God, my Lord Jesus Christ holds me, seals me, keeps me. He saves me. He regenerates me. He redeems me. I know this. Do you know? Do you have absolute assurance? Because the Bible says you can have absolute assurance. How? 
by believing on the name of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, manifested in the flesh. You can be in the kingdom of God by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple? Yes. It's that simple. I mean, I don't have to do anything but believe. That's right. Not by works. Not by righteous works. Galatians 2.16, not by works of the law. For if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it's not, but it's by the faith of Jesus Christ. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. Believe the gospel. First sermon of Jesus. This is the whole point. We see Mark summarizing these things. That it's all about this. The beginning of the gospel of God. The gospel of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's God. What did he do? How did he get started? What's this all about? We see Mark excited. He can't wait to get to this. That we see him appointed the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's not the gospel of denominationalism. It's not the gospel of what I think I feel. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's not the gospel of Mark. It's not the gospel of Matthew, Luke, and John. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. But it is repeated by the mouths of the disciples. The gospel as told by Mark. The gospel of Jesus Christ as told by Mark. The gospel of Jesus as told by Matthew, Luke, and John. The gospel of Jesus as told by Paul and Peter and James. And it's the same gospel that carries all the way to today. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing good, being good, keeping the commandments, helping out, doing this and that, maintaining this, keeping this, abstaining from this, and holding to that. It's not about that. It's not about the outward man. It's about the in inward. It's about the inner man. It, the kingdom of God is within you. But is it within you? Is it within you? Is the spirit of his dear son within you? Well, how can I know? Well, you first must know Jesus. There are many that preach different Jesuses. Jesus even said, false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers will arise. He says, and they will be preaching false Christs. Many false Christs will arise. He says, many will come in my name, claiming to be Jesus. Many will be coming in my name, saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. Saying he's, he's the son of God, but he's not God. He's a prophet. He's not God. He's just a good man. He was just a holy man. He was just this. He was just that. Preaching a different Jesus. A Jesus that needs you to be baptized, uh, to be saved. A Jesus that needs you to, to do this and keep this and maintain that and hold to this and achieve this or do whatever. Jesus doesn't need your works. It's not of the outward. He doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs your good works. God doesn't need your need your good works. Salvation is by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He said, it is finished. That all the work, all the atonement, everything that is required, everything that is needed for your salvation was achieved on the cross, was achieved by his resurrection, was by the work of his dear son, by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He did everything, everything that is required. Now he says, now just believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand.
Uh, verse 16, uh, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Jesus walks, he looks, he calls, he draws, and Jesus comes to them, he watches them fishing, by, he sees them working by their own power, working by their own desires, of their own mind, of their own hands. And Jesus offers something. He walks up to them. He holds out his hands. And he says, come. Come. Come ye after me. Jesus stands before you. And he offers the free gift. The gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, come ye after me. Come follow me. Come believe in me. Come be with me that where that that where that where I am ye may be also. Come ye after me. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he changes you. He saves you. He makes you new. He gives you a new heart, new mind, new desires. He gives you a new understanding. The spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christ which dwells in the heart of every believer will teach you and instruct you and be with you always, even to the end of the world. I will never leave thee, never forsake thee. That he'll give you the words with which to say. He'll cause you to be in remembrance of everything right that he has told us. He will make us fishers of men. That no longer will we be fishing in the things of this world, but we'll be fishing in that which is spiritual. Fishers of men will be uh, seeking after souls. That which is the kingdom of God is spiritual, not physical. We'll be casting a different net, a spiritual net, not physical. We won't be angling after the physical because the physical is not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of corruption, the kingdom of the devil. But that which is spiritual is of the kingdom of God. We'll be working in the kingdom of God. We'll be casting a different net. And I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you become. He'll teach you how to do it. I'll make you to become. He will instruct you. He'll teach you. Give you the wisdom and the knowledge. It's no longer by our efforts, by our abilities, by our minds. It's not by our desires. And I will make you become fishers of men. But as we see in Hebrews 6, 4-6, he, he, call, he calls all and he gives, gives them the enlightenment, the understanding. They have the taste of, they get the glimpse of, they have the understanding, but they reject it. How hard it is to renew them again. What's to draw them when they've already seen what it's about? And they reject it. But others believe, others accept it. God is not willing that any should perish. So he gives everyone a chance. He's not willing that any should perish. But he calls all men everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes on him shall not perish but everlasting life. But what does it say? Many people quote John 3.16. But they don't quote the rest of it. We see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. The sole love of God is the self-sacrificing love of God. A greater love hath no man than this. And a man will lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish with everlasting life. You receive salvation by belief alone. For God sent not his son into the world. To condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. 
For he that believeth on him is not condemned. See, belief saves. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Belief saves you, unbelief damns you. Belief saves you, unbelief damns you. See, he walks, he sees you, and he loves you. He gives you a chance. He stretches out his hands, those nail-scarred hands, as one preacher said. The only thing, now really, use your sanctified imagination and picture yourself standing in the middle of heaven. You're standing on, on, on the street made of gold. You're standing before the very temple of God. You're standing there and Jesus comes and stands before you, holds out his hands. The only thing in heaven made by man are the nail prints in the hands of Jesus. The spear hole in his side and the nail scars in his feet. He kept those. He kept those to show his infinite love, to show what he went through for you. Now, Simon and Andrew, they're minding their own business, in their boat, washing their nets, mending their nets, getting ready for, for their earthly business, for their fo personal focuses, their personal lusts and desires. Jesus comes and offers them something different. A different life, a different focus, a different understanding, a different kingdom. You see, they were working for a physical kingdom. They're working for the for the empire of Israel, for the kingdom of Israel, for, for, for their own personal homes and lives and their own personal well-being. And Jesus... Offers them a different life. He gave them an understanding. Because why else? Why else would it say in verse 18, they straightway immediately forsook their nets. They forsook their nets. They forsook. If we go back to Matthew 16, Matthew 16, and Matthew 16, and we want verse 24. Jesus says, And said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To deny yourself, that's repent. Take up your cross. What's your cross? That's belief in Christ. That's the discipleship of Jesus Christ. The ways of Christ. To take it up. To take it up upon you. To take it as your own. You, uh, th this now becomes your way, your truth, your life. The, the way, the truth, and life of Jesus Christ. He's now your Jesus, your God, your Savior. This is your gospel. The gospel of Mark. The gospel of Matthew, Luke, and John. The gospel of Paul, Peter, and James. It becomes your gospel. Your truth is the truth of Jesus Christ. Your way is the way of Jesus Christ. Your life is now the life of Jesus Christ. Forsake all. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. To follow him. You see, they knew who Jesus was as his fame was all throughout the land. They've heard the, the, the proclamations of him since the time he was born. 
They see Jesus. He calls them. But the Spirit of Christ sparked the understanding in their minds as they stood there staring at Jesus for a moment. And something convicted them. Something came over them that changed their thinking. It changed their heart and their desires. It changed them from worrying about what are they going to eat today. They stopped worrying about their family, their home. They stopped worrying about their livelihood. They forsook everything and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They straightway and they forsook their nets and followed him. They left it right where it was. That, that you leave your sin right where it is. And you cling to the cross. You take up the cross. And you follow him. Come ye after me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when they had gone a little further thence. He saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. Who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them. He calls you the same. He calls everybody the same way. It's the same calling of the same Lord, of the same spirit, of the same gospel, of the same message, of the same kingdom. People come from all different ways, all different places, all different things, but you come to the same door. Everybody will come before God, but there's only one door that leads into heaven. And you must forsake all, forsake your previous beliefs, your previous preconceptions. You, you forsake all and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You repent and believe the gospel. And then you enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he straightway he called them and they left their father. They left their father. As we may leave our uh, the beliefs of our family believe the ways of our family friends and everyone else we believe in the lord jesus christ and straightway he called them and they left their father zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him some people won't believe in jesus because well what about my family well if i believe then what will happen to my family you must make a choice you must make it personal you must choose Jesus Christ over everything else and everyone else. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ over your nets. They left their family. They left their father. They left their ship. They had a ship. They had a lot of money. They left. They, they forsook all. They forsook all. They left their ship. And, and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered to the synagogue and taught. Verse 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at, what? His doctrine. It's more than my feelings and opinions and visions and dreams and experiences. It's more than what I think. Well, I believe, I think, I feel. His doctrine. Of his gospel, his theology, what he says goes. There's only one interpretation. There's only one interpretation of scripture. What it says is what it means. There's only one way, one truth, one life. There's only one cross, one shedding of blood. There's only one atonement. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one truth. So people say, well, well, my truth. No, no, no. There's only one truth. His truth becomes your truth. You're, you're, uh, you're a repeater of what Jesus has said. 
as has said. They were astonished at his doctrine. Look what it says. For he taught them as one that had authority. What does that mean? The author of all knowledge and wisdom. The author of the scriptures. As he grabbed the scrolls of the prophets. But the way he said it was different than all of the scribes and Pharisees that came before. He spoke it differently. He taught it differently. He spoke it like he was there. He spoke it like how it was inspired from the mind of God. He taught them as the author. As you can grab a book off a shelf and read it, but it's different. But when the person who authored it, who inspired it, who came up with the very idea of it, starts reading it, they start telling you differently. They have d different understanding, a different perception, different insights. He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And not as the that the religion the, the religious individuals not as the pharisees and scribes and sadducees not not as the hypocrites not as the others not as denominationalists not as traditionalists not as others but rather as god we see the simplicity it's so simple there's one way, one truth, one life. There's one word. There's one way of salvation. There's one inspiration. There's only one cross, one spirit. There's only one thing that matters. And that is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the kingdom of God? We're going to stop here. We see the introduction of the gospel according to Mark. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the presentation of the gospel. We have, we're about maybe halfway through chapter one. We've already gotten this much information. Like I said at the very beginning, the way it is written, it's very succinct. It's very, it's very bullet pointed the way that Mark wrote it. But when you stop just reading it, and you now start studying it. You start meditating on it. And you pay attention to the specific words. And you pair scripture with scripture. And you rightly divide the word of truth. It just explodes. It just comes alive. You could spend a lifetime on one verse of scripture. Because it's alive. It came from the mind of God himself. So we'll wrap that up here. I would like you to give this some thought. What is the kingdom of God? Are you in the kingdom? Do you know Jesus according to scripture? Are you sure you are born again saved? As it is written in the prophets. As God told it from time past. As God promised to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. About the one that would come born of a woman that would bruise the, the, the head of the serpent. Stomp the head of the serpent, crush the head of the serpent, you'll crush your head and he'll bruise your heel. This is talking about Jesus Christ, talking about the promise of the Christ Messiah. God promised since the beginning. And he promised all down through the prophets, told, told how he'll come and what he'll do and what he'll achieve and what he's come for and everything about him and where he'll even be. And Jesus fulfills it. Jesus fulfills it. It's more than just a story. It's more than just a story. We see it's more than just the physical reality. What are your nets? What are you fishing for? 
What are you looking for? Because they were fishers, they were fishing for something. They were fishers, they were fishing for something. They were looking for something. They're casting out their nets day after day after day after day after day. Looking for something to fulfill them. Something to work for. Something to have a truth, a power, a reality. And Jesus comes and says, I'll make you fishers of men. There's something else you should be fishing for. People fish for political reasons. They make it all about politics. They make it all about social issues. They make it all about themselves, their bank accounts, their luxuries, their vanity, their personal satiation, their entertainment. What are you fishing for? What are you fishing for? Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Come. Come after me. Look at the language here in verse 17. Come after me. What does that mean? To chase after, to, to seek, to get a hold of. To seek, to grab a hold of, to come after, to follow after in, in footstep, in unison, um, in, the, in the spirit of his dear son, the ways of Jesus Christ. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask what ye will. And our desires, our will becomes that of the will and desire of God. And I will make you become fishers of men, and you'll be seeking to save souls. You'll be seeking to save souls. You'll be seeking to declare the gospel. You'll be seeking to demonstrate Christ's likeness unto all. Come ye after me. Now make ye become fishers of men in the kingdom of God. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, part 1. So there you go. Any comments, questions, issues, insights? Be glad to hear from you. All right, let's go down through. Okay, uh... Okay, going down through the comments here, see if there's any questions. It purely says, you see, the episode of The Chosen, when Matthew was working in his tax collector booth, when Jesus was walking, stopped and said, Matthew, follow me. Matthew was so won wonderfully and innocently surprised. Exactly. It's unexpected. It just, this is suddenly presented, a reality an understanding and he gives them an understanding as we read in in first john 5 20 and he gives us an understanding that when he looks at us and he locks eyes with us he looks into our soul as in hebrews 6 46 and he gives us enlightenment by his spirit he the sparks our understanding we see it we get it we understand and there's that moment of awe and just like and you realize you're facing the truth you now have a choice. Many brush it aside. Many say, oh, maybe tomorrow. And they bargain. How hard it will be to renew them again. That's why I let today be the day of salvation. Right here, right now. The time is at hand. The time is now. The time is at hand. It's right here, right now. Make sure. Make sure. Make sure of thyself. There you go. Okay, and all right, so we go down through a vanilla says, what's what are the wrong fundamentals of prosperity gospel? They make it all about the kingdoms of this world. If Jesus says, 
Store not up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, the kingdom of God, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. My kingdom is not of this world. Forsake all. Deny yourself. But what do the what do the prosperity preachers say? Don't deny yourself. Store up for yourselves. It's all about money. So God wants you to have your best life now. You have your kingdom on earth. Big bank accounts and, and, and all of your luxuries and vanity. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful. Literally the promises of, of Satan. It will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you would but corrupt yourself. If you would but corrupt your understanding of God and bow to a different gospel, bow to a different way, bow to a different kingdom. As Jesus says, come after me, I'll make you fishers of men. They say, no, you'll be fishers of treasure and, and vanity and luxuries and all this stuff. The Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland garbage, where it's all about that you you'll develop your own personal kingdom of this world. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. The son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. They, they make it all about money. That he had so much money, they needed someone to carry it all for them. No, that's not what it's about. It's about it's about spiritual salvation. The gospel is about spiritual. Now, it's not wrong to have money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not about it. It's not about it that it's wrong to have luxuries, but what? But uh. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's not about the stuff. The stuff is what holds us back. They forsook their nets and followed Christ. The prosperity gospel says no, they, they, dra they would basically be dragging along their nets and ships along with Jesus. But he says forsake all. But the prosperity preachers say, say it's of Satan to say that you must deny yourself. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. See, they preach a different gospel. They also preach a different Jesus altogether. The prosperity gospel preachers preach a completely different Jesus other than, the, than what the Bible says. They say Jesus stopped being the son of God on the cross and became sin incarnate and went and burned in the fires of hell to pay for to atone for your sins. They don't believe in the actual, uh, the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're liars. They're false prophets. They're workers of Satan. They're the ministers of Lucifer. The prosperity gospel preachers are literally the preachers of Lucifer, preaching Lucifer's gospel of, of maintaining and fulfilling the kingdoms of this world that Jesus says you must come out of. So, we see by, by the preacher, Mark, there's a different kingdom, a different focus, a different understanding. There's a different life. We, we were enemies of God, enemies of all righteousness, children of the devil. And God so loved us that he came, he came to that slave market of sin. And he saw us chained up in that slave market of sin, condemned to die. And he so loved us. He paid the full price to free us. The price was 
death and blood. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And by his death and his shedding of blood, he offers, offers to purchase us. He says, I will purchase you. I will redeem you. I will change, change you. And he, and he buys us out, frees us from the chains. And he doesn't just free us, but then he adopts us into his family. All by grace. Unmerited. We didn't deserve it. We are enemies of God. Children of the devil. Children of hell. Condemned in our own sin that, that, we, that, that we committed. We condemned ourselves. There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He buys us out of that slave market of sin and he, and he no longer calls us servants, but he calls us children. There are so many Christians who call us slaves of Christ. That is her, that is actually wrong. That's a form of heresy. We are not slaves of Jesus. We are not, we are not even called servants of Jesus. God says, I call you no more servants. I call you children. We are the children of God. Adopted into his family. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing of ourselves. No merit of our own. No righteousness of our own. Because we have no righteousness. For our righteousness is filthy rags. For there is none that doeth good. No not one. We have no goodness. We have no righteousness. We have no ability. We have nothing of our own. That's why we receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ by grace. Through faith. By belief. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Scripture. We are born again saved. Except you be born again, you shall likewise perish. We see in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night. And Jesus says, Verily, verily, which is truly, truly, I say unto thee, I say unto you, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. How, how can I be born again? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, you're born of flesh, you're born of water, born of blood, you must be born of spirit. And except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You're born of flesh, born of water, born of blood. That is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And as you were born physically, did you help your mother give birth to you? Kind of an odd question, but did you have to help your mother give birth to you? Did you help in your own physical birth? Uh, no. Then how would you help Jesus in your spiritual birth? As God is literally equating the picture here. You're born physically, you must be born spiritually. How am I born spiritually? Whereas you're born of blood physically, as you see, it's a bloody mess. You're born of blood. You're born in blood. You're born in water. We see the washing and the blood of the Spirit by the blood of Jesus Christ. We see pictures, images. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Marvel not that I said to thee, you must be born again. For except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is before you. And the kingdom of God can be within you. If you but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. There you go. All right. So with that, that wraps that up there. So this is part one of chapter one. So I hope that this has been a help and a blessing and encouragement to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification bell icon. So we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We got tons and tons of other goodies and content. And as well, make sure you check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and our uh, podcasts. We have links to our free downloadable gospel track PDFs. We've got a bunch of other goodies and stuff there, as well as, well as uh, uh, merchandise shops and stuff, if you so want. Um, so yeah, and if you need to, uh, to contact us uh, uh, with questions or whatever else, there's a contact us link as well on our website. You can send us an email. If you need help finding something, or if you got questions, or whatever. So with that, we'll wrap that up there. So again, thank you so much for joining in. God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love His Holy Word. Hope to see you again. Get out there. Preach the gospel. Preach the kingdom of God according to Scripture. Go preach the gospel to all creation. This is the commandment of our Lord Jesus. And I hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.